Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. As you make your way back to your seat, and thanks for thanks for adjusting with me, and, and Brian and David adapting. That's what happens when you get old; it's the memory begins to go. So, all right. And as you're making your way back to your seat, we're going to be in Psalms again this week. Um, back to Psalms, seeing Christ in the chaos of life. Psalm 25 is where we're going to be at. If you need a Bible this morning, I see ushers there with one in hand, so just wave at them, and they'll be happy to pass one to you. Turn over to Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is the first of the ABC Psalms. You say, what's an ABC Psalm? Well, that's my term, really, but it's... There are five psalms that each of the verses begin with the, with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So they start, if you and I were doing it in English, we'd A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, so each verse would, be, would begin with that letter. Psalm 25 is the first psalm that does it. There are five total that do it. And as I was looking through that, I thought, you know, ABCs, as a matter of fact, that's why the title of today's message is ABC, I Come to Thee. And uh, I shared that with Arminta because she puts all this together and uh, she goes, that's good, Pastor. You're getting better with these titles, all right? Um, You probably don't remember learning your ABCs. I mean, for most of us, it's been a while, okay? And you probably don't remember the process, but if you've helped someone else learn their ABCs, you remember that, all right? If you've helped children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or anybody learn their ABCs, you have probably sung ad nauseum, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. I mean, you go over and over and you write them out because when you're learning your ABCs, it's just, it's just marks and sounds that seem to make no sense. They're just individual marks on a page and sounds and you make a mark and they tell you, no, it's wrong. You think, what's wrong with it? I think it looks right and I think it'll be okay. No, it has to be specific because it's going to matter down the road. We don't remember it, but without our ABCs, the rest of life is messed up. Everything that you and I have done since, every day of our life, is predicated on the foundation of our ABCs. The ability to read, the ability to write, the ability to communicate is predicated on us understanding and that foundation being established. Psalm 25 is the same way. It is, I believe, as I was going through this, I thought, Lord, you're giving us the ABCs of coming to you and what that looks like as we go through this psalm. So as we go through it, you're going to see the heart of David poured out, and he's going to give us in this something that's very practical for you and me today. And how do I experience who Jesus is in the chaos of life? Remember, that's the title for the whole series. So how do I experience who he is in the daily, in the tough things? Andrew and I were coming to church this morning, and he was kind of laid over there and, and seemed really tired and, and not his normal chipper self. He's usually my morning person, and he was not. And I said, Andrew, you tired this morning? He said, yeah, I didn't sleep really well and all. And so we sat there and said, yeah, that happens sometimes. <clears throat> and I said, but you know, here's, I got good news for you. Something I've learned as I've been walking through life is that in those times when my schedule didn't go the way I planned and I don't feel the way I'd like to feel, that Jesus can do something supernatural in those times. That if I'll just come to him, he can do something. And so we had a little time together. Being able to say, you know what? You and I can receive supernatural strength. We can receive something that sleep didn't give us. We can receive from him. We can come to him in the 
chaos of life. When life, when the pattern of life gets all messed up, we can come to him. That really is the picture of Psalm 25. So I want you to look at it with me. It begins, unto thee, O Lord. No, some of you know that song, right? How many of you grew up singing that? If you went to camp and church anywhere, you're going, unto thee, O Lord. And then we could go this side, unto thee, and then you would repeat, unto thee, and we go back and forth. That's the psalm. Okay, Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, in the old King James, do I lift up my soul. Really, unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Lord, I give my life to you in the New Living Translation. I'm quoting it to you out of the King James, but in the New Living, and I wanted to put it in a different translation because sometimes these very familiar passages, we just go right through, okay? In the New Living, it says, Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. And I'm going to stop here. I want to show you something that David did. There are three primary Hebrew names for God. You say, I thought there were a whole lot more. There are. But there are three primary ones, and then one of those primary ones is a compound name. It's used a lot with other names. And so you have lots of names for God in the Old Testament, but there's just three primary names. And then that one of those three is usually coupled with something else. That one is Jehovah in, in the Hebrew, Yahweh. But Jehovah, and we put Jehovah with a lot. We don't. God did in Scripture. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu, all these different names, but it becomes a compound name, but there are three basic ones. Two of them David uses right here. The word for Lord and the word for my God are different names of God. David starts with, O Lord, I give my life to you. That is Yahweh. We're going to come back and talk about it in just a minute. I trust in you, my God. My God is Elohim. Two different names. You think, well, is it, that's just poetic. No, there's a purpose for everything God does in his word. Do you understand that? There's a purpose. There's two things that is, as your pastor I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to read the word, okay? You think, duh, yeah, we need to read the word. But you need to do more than read the word. You should study the word. They're two different things, reading the word and studying the word. Now, again, I don't count on my reading or studying. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ that changes me, okay? But he does that through the reading and studying of his word. And so as you're reading it, as you're studying it, and as I'm going through, I'm looking at this, wait a second, God used two different names in a very short space here. There's got to be a reason. There is a reason. I trust in you, my God. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, 1. The first time you're going to see this name Elohim, matter of fact, it is the first name used of God, is in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to say in that same passage, and the earth was without form and it was void, it was shapeless, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This is the story of creation, all right? But when God is introduced, and in the 15 or 20 times that God's name is mentioned in chapter 1, it's always Elohim, Elohim. Even when it says down later, when they're giving a synopsis, and he says that let us make man in our own image, the us there is Elohim, it's plural, And so you have God revealing himself. Now, what do we know about God in the first chapter of Genesis? It says that in the beginning, before there was time, he says when time started, Elohim was already there. God was already here. And he says when there was nothing, Elohim made something out of nothing. And he said he was able to take what was formless, what, what had no sense of, well, anything, what had no shape, no form, what didn't make any sense at all, he brought order into. So we learn something about Elohim. Elohim exists outside of time, space, and matter. That's what we learn in Genesis chapter 1. He lives, he has always lived. You say, well, how did he start? He didn't. He always has been. You say, I don't get that. Neither do I. And don't think about it too long or you'll jump out a window, all right? I mean, it will hurt your hair to think about it. It's like, he never was. I mean, he always has been, so there never was a time when he wasn't. My finite mind, we think in time. We are slaves. We We are subject to time, space, and matter. Our whole life exists that way, but God isn't. That'll help you, too, sometimes when you read things in Scripture you can't understand, to remember that Elohim is not subject to time, space, and matter, though he inserts himself into all. He's not subject to any. This is him. 
This is God as he's being revealed. What is he saying? I am the God where time and space and matter doesn't matter. Because I can do something with nothing. And I can do it anytime I want. This is who he is. When David says, I trust in Elohim, it's a whole lot more than I trust in God. I trust in the one who lives outside of time, space, and matter, who inserts inserts himself into time, space, and matter, and can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, without anything. He doesn't have to have anything. We talk about being creative, but we simply create with something that's already been created. We go make something, we manufacture something, but we don't do it out of nothing. But Elohim does. He makes something out of nothing. David said, this is who I trust. I'm going to put all of my confidence in Elohim. But then before that, before he gets that, because that's good in itself, but before that he says, O Lord, Yahweh, we call him Jehovah, it's the English, as it's made its way into English. O Lord, I lift up my soul. See, there's two things going on here. One is I'm trusting, I'm putting my confidence in the God who can do anything with nothing. But I'm coming in a very personal way and lifting up my soul to Yahweh, to Jehovah. Yahweh is interesting in the Hebrew. It is the most common name for God in the scripture, used over 6,800 times, either by itself or in connection with another word. And I want to show you the, the next verse in Genesis 2 is the first time. See, Genesis 1, you have Elohim all the way through Genesis 1. But in Genesis 2, we have the first time that this word Yahweh is used. It says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth when the Lord God. Notice, see, there's two, Lord God. Lord there is Yahweh. God is Elohim. When Jehovah Elohim made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. So we are introduced, and he's going to repeat that. He's going to use that name, Jehovah, Yahweh, over and over again in chapters 2 and chapter 3. Why? Because something very personal happens in chapter 2. God makes man. He does all of his other creation, but when he gets to the point of making you and me, when he makes people, he introduces a new name for himself. Yahweh really, for you and me, well, for anyone for that matter, would be very difficult because it's simply four, it's four consonants. In English, we would say it's Y-H-W-H. Four consonants. That's the word. You can't pronounce four consonants. I mean, how do you say that? You can't. It's four consonants. So, over time, what took place is they added some vowels to it, and it was Yahweh. Now, for the Jewish people, it was so sacred, they wouldn't even speak it. They'd write it, they wouldn't even say it, for fear that they might say it incorrectly. There's such reverence for, for God, for Jehovah. Over time, Yahweh, translated into English, becomes Jehovah. That's what we call, that's what we'd say today in English, Jehovah. The place that this name is revealed, though, where we see it, where God calls himself this, which is really interesting, is in chapter uh, 3 of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. So you go over one book from Genesis to Exodus chapter 3. Moses has been walking along in the desert, taking care of sheep. He's out there. He's been out there for a while. As he's walking along one day, he sees something that doesn't make any sense. He sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not burned up. That doesn't make any sense. So Moses says to himself, I'm going to stop and go see what this is. I would too. I mean, wouldn't you? What in the world? How could there be a bush on fire, but not burned up? So he goes and he looks. It's from the burning bush that God calls out to Moses. Moses calls him by name. Calls him in, tells him to take off his shoes. All the things that happen in that. 
Then he tells him what the call in his life is. He says, I'm going to send you back to my people. I'm sending you back to Pharaoh. I've got a plan for my people to bring them out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom, into the land that I have promised them. I want you to go tell Pharaoh it's time for all this to take place. I want you to tell the people that I've sent you. And Moses, he has some legitimate concerns. And one of his concerns is, when I tell Pharaoh, when I tell the people that God has sent, who do I tell them said that I'm supposed to lead them out and that Pharaoh's supposed to let them go. Who's saying this? Who's making this demand or this request of them? And God says this. This is verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Literally, Jehovah is Jehovah. Yahweh is Yahweh. I am that I am. Says this to the people of Israel. Tell them I am has sent you. I want you to see something. When, when God introduces himself as Jehovah, as Yahweh, something very significant happens here. What are the circumstances of God telling Moses who he is? Here are the circumstances. Moses found himself in his life in a contradiction. I want you to stay with me. Moses found himself in a contradiction because it isn't right for a bush to be on fire and not burn up not right can i tell you something that when you and i find ourselves in a contradiction in life god wants to reveal himself to us in a way we've never seen him before he wants to expose to us who he is he wants to reveal more of his name and his nature to us but he does this most often he will do this in your life and my life in the midst of a contradiction you say is that really true look at scripture if it's true scripture will bear it out abraham Abraham is told to go, by God he's told, go take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you really love, go offer him as a sacrifice on an altar. That's a contradiction. That's human sacrifice. God's not in favor of human sacrifice. Yet God's telling him to do this. Abraham finds himself between a rock and a hard place. He finds himself in a contradiction of life. And he goes there. He obeys the Lord. He's walking through. The angel stops him. The ram is provided, and God gives a name that we use all the time now. But you know where it came from? You know the first place it was used? It was used here in Genesis, where Abraham is there about to follow through and kill his son, and God provides a ram, and then it says that he is Jehovah-Jireh. God will provide. He revealed himself. Where does he reveal himself? I'm telling you, he reveals himself in a contradiction. When you find yourself in a place that doesn't make sense, God wants to show you more of who he is. You say, well, is it just in the Old? And by the way, the Old Testament's full of this, but so is the New. Peter one day, good Jew that he is, he's taking a little nap after having lunch. He's up there on top of the, of the house because it's cooler. And he's, he dozes off or whatever, but he has a vision. He has a dream while he's there. And there's this great big sheet that is let down, four corners held up in heaven, let down, and there's every kind of animal you can imagine in there, all kinds of good eating in that sheet. And the Lord says, Peter, take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. Uh-uh. I'm a good Jewish boy. I know there's stuff in there that's unclean. I'm not supposed to eat it. You told us we're not supposed to eat it. And he says, Peter, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. Peter was caught in a contradiction. Everything he knew to be true, God was saying, in this situation, no. Everything that Peter thought was right, God's saying, I want to show you something about me that you've never seen before. Now, what was God about to reveal to Peter and to the whole world that's going to happen in Acts chapter 10? The gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. God is revealing his nature, his name, who he is. I'm about to expand my work, but I'm going to do it through a contradiction in Peter's life. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's praying, he's agonizing over this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that's buffeting him. He's crying out to the Lord. The Lord says, no, I'm not going to change that. 
but my grace, literally I am grace, I'm full of grace and truth, my grace is enough for you, Paul. I'm going to reveal to you my character and my name, more of me than you've seen before in this contradiction, because it seems to Paul that if he could be relieved of whatever this is in his life, he would be more effective for the kingdom, more effective for Jesus. He could do what God had called him to do, and he could do it in a way that's going to be unencumbered, unimpeded by whatever this thorn is. And, And the Lord says to him, no, Paul. In this contradiction, you think it'd be better this way, but I know it's better this way because this way I'm going to reveal to you part of who I am, a part of my nature that you've not seen before. You're going to experience more of me. This is what David is saying as he lays out Psalm 25, and we're taking a while to lay the foundation, then we'll move quicker through Psalm 25, but you've got to understand this. In your life and in my life, when God wants us to see who he is, he's going to bring you into a contradiction. And if you don't understand that, you will constantly be frustrated with God and everybody else. Because it won't make any sense. Peter got it, though. It caught on in Acts 10 because when he wrote in, his, in the epistle of Peter, when he's writing, he said, don't think it's strange the fiery trials which come to test you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. No, he said, this is a good thing. God's showing you something and he's revealing himself and he's bringing glory to his name. Don't think it's strange that contradictions come in your life anticipate them anticipate them they're going to come i've gotten to the point almost every day i get up and think lord what contradiction are you going to bring into my life today because he does but if i'll go to him he'll reveal more of himself than i've ever seen before which is what david does to you O lord i lift up my soul that phrase is used three times in the psalms here again in psalm 52 i think in psalm 143 i lift up my soul to you my god i trust in you let's go back to psalm 25 beginning continuing on in verse 2 he says do not let me be disgraced now again we're talking about the abc's the building block here of coming to the lord do not let me to be disgraced (laughs) here's the first thing you're gonna do if you allow the lord to work in your life and you decide that you're going to follow him and trust him one of the first ways that you're going to be tested in that, is what will other people think? If I do this, what will other people think? You need to understand that. How many know I'm telling the truth? Jesus, this sounds really good, and it's just you and me, and okay, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm believing you, Jesus, but nobody else is going to understand this. That was Moses' problem. It's like, Lord, you told me. I, I saw the burning bush, but nobody else has seen it. And I'm going to go back and tell them something. They don't know what I know. How are they going to believe? What are they going to think? Same thing happens to you and me. Lord, don't let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. And then he goes, no one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. See, the, you know what just happened there? Don't read through that so quickly. You know what just happened? He brought his heart, he brought his soul to God. He came, we would say he came to Jesus and Jesus spoke to him. That's what happened right there. Because he's going, Lord, don't let me be disgraced. Don't let my enemies be Wait a second. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. Who told him that? Who told him that whoever trusts in the Lord will never be disgraced? God did. God told him. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Those who try to do it their own way. Those who leave you out. Lord, that's where disgrace comes. Not those who trust you. Not those who follow you. See, God revealed himself to David. He'll reveal himself to you. You just come. But recognize as you come, as you're walking through and you're trusting the Lord in the midst of the contradiction, one of the, one of the ways that the enemy is going to come at you and your flesh will come at you is people will not understand. They're not going to understand this. Look at the next verse with me as it goes on. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. There's two different Hebrew words here for path and, and road. The first one is a general direction. Show me which way to go, Lord. Do I go that way or that way or that way? I mean, I got three exits here. Which way do I go, Lord? Which direction do I start walking in? That's the first part. The second part is point out the road for me. That's a specific step. Okay, I'm going to go that way, but then I got to know which steps to go. You know, which do I go here? Do I go there? Lord, what are the specific steps you want me to take along the way? But this is getting deeper. Okay, now I've got general direction. I've got specific steps, but notice what he says. Lead me by your truth and teach me. God's doing a work in David's heart. He said, wait a second, Lord, more important than the direction or even the steps, 
I don't want to just know the what to do, Lord. I want to know who you are. Show me who you are. Because you are truth. Teach me. Lead me in your truth. Lord, let me understand your heart. Let me understand what you're doing. Reveal to me so I can see you. For you are the God who saves me. That's how I know. You say, how do you know that's what that means? Because the next sentence tells you. And you are the God who saves me. You are my Savior. Lord, I want to know you. I don't want to just know which way to go or what steps to take. I want to know you. We recognize graduates today. There may be no more stressful time in your life than being a graduate and thinking, what do I do next? Where are we going? And people are always asking you, too. They're putting pressure on you. It's like, do you know where you're doing? Where are you going to school? What are you doing? What are you doing? I don't know. You know? You feel that way sometimes. It's overwhelming. We want to know, what's the next step? That's our human nature. But David's going through a progression here where it's not just about the direction that I'm going or the steps I'm going to take. Lord, I just want to know you. And I'm telling you, in the process of knowing him, it won't always make sense to other people. Sometimes it won't even make sense to you. But this is what David's asking. These are the building blocks. These are the ABCs of coming to Jesus, of following him. All day long, I put my hope in you. All day, all night, all the time, my hope is in you. It's not in what college I go to. You can go to UCF or Clemson. It doesn't make any difference. All right? (laughs) Doesn't matter. It's not about what degree you get or whether you got one. Doesn't matter. So my hope is in you. My hope is in you, not in this other stuff. Paul said, I've got all these degrees. I've got all this education. I've got all of these credentials of man. He said, I count them as rubbish as trash as garbage what's really important lord is knowing you it's knowing you that doesn't mean you don't get educated doesn't mean you don't have these things we just don't put our trust and confidence in them look at the next verse with me psalm 25 6 remember he's got three remembers that happen here remember O lord your compassion and unfailing love which you have shown from long ages past Now, did God forget? Really, did God forget? God have a senior moment? I don't remember what I did in the past. No. David is the one who needs to remember, and so do you and I. So it's important sometimes, like, Lord, David's remembering what God has done, and he's just just saying it to the Lord. He's repeating it. And, And I do that. You can do that. Lord, remember, you did this and this and this. What I'm saying is, Lord, you're bringing this to my mind, and I'm saying it to you because I need to be assured that, yeah, you did this in the past. I can trust you now. He goes on, do you remember the, do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. As you're walking through this, as you're saying, Lord, I'll trust you and I'll follow you and I'm not going to worry about what other people think and I'm going to see you direct my steps. I'm going to learn who you are in your heart. One of the things that will happen is God does a greater work in your heart. You will see him more clearly and you will see you more clearly. Sin is a monster of such awful mean that to be hated needs but to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar a face we first endure, then pity, then embrace. You say, what in the world does all that mean? It means simply this, that we get so comfortable with sin, we don't see the sin anymore. But the closer I walk with Jesus, the more he transforms my heart and my mind and the way I think, the more I come to him, the more I see sin for what it really is, the devastating... Sometimes people say, when you preach grace, you're just saying sin's not bad. No, it's the exact opposite. Sin is awful because it destroys. And if you spend much time talking to people who've been engaged in it or looking in your own life at the, when you're engaged in sin and what it, what it accomplishes, what it does, you realize how awful it is. But as you're walking through this process, you're going to think, I'm worse off than I ever knew. That's okay. This is part of the ABC. This is the growth process. It's all right. It's okay to recognize. What's happening is you're seeing God more clearly for who he is, and then you see how awful sin really is and what it does to the heart of God. David says, don't remember the rebellious sins of my youth. He goes on. Look at the next verse with me. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love. David's asking for something, but I'm going to show you in a minute. God's already done. 
For you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. Look at the next verse with me. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenants and obey his demands. Now, if you read that with an old covenant perspective, you're going to miss it. Okay? Because, Lord, don't remember the sins of my youth, and he goes through all what the Lord does, but I have to do my part. I have to make sure I keep his covenant, obey all of his commands, and do all that. I've got to do my part. God's going to do his, I'm going to do mine. David is speaking from an old covenant perspective, but he's praying for something, even though he doesn't realize it yet, that God promises he will do and has already done for you and me. Look at Hebrews. Look at this next verse with me. Hebrews chapter 8. For this is the covenant... And you can write it down, look at it later. It's on the screen for you. Hebrews 8, I believe it starts in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Remember, David talked about keeping his covenant. Lord, you're going to do all this if I keep your covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And he goes on. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. He's going to say this three times in the book of Hebrews, by the way. I will remember their sins no more. Now look at the next verse. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What is all of that? David says, Lord, you do all of this for those who keep your covenant, but we, could, we couldn't, he couldn't, we can't. So Jesus does. Hebrews 7, is just one chapter before this. It talks about Jesus being the guarantee of a better covenant. See, what David is praying for, you and I already know. So it is not, because you can, see, if you read Psalm 25 and you get to that verse and you read it with old covenant eyes, you'll think, I've got to try harder to do better. That's how I'm going to get all these things from God. And you will miss it because, yes, the covenant has to be kept perfectly. The old covenant has to be kept perfectly for you, for me, for all of us. It must be kept perfectly without one failure. Have you been able to do that? No. No. Jesus did. He kept it all. He fulfilled it all. And I enter in by faith. So I have kept the covenant in Jesus. It's kept. This is what David is, he's talking about it. You and I are experiencing it. Go back with me to Psalm. Psalm 25, look at the next verse with me. Verse 11, for the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. He goes on. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Wait a second. Why would he have to teach them the covenant? They already knew the covenant. They knew the old one. He's going to teach them a new one. I'm telling you, if you read Psalms without understanding the new covenant, you're going to get messed up. You're going to believe things you shouldn't believe. The only reason he'd have to teach them a covenant is a covenant they don't know yet. It's one we know. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. My eyes are always on the Lord. Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. In fact, could I tell you something? When you're reading through the Psalms, would you ask the Lord to bring to your mind New Testament fulfillment to things that David wrote in the, in, in the book of Psalms? You'll read Psalms in a whole new way. Because he talks about my eyes are always on the Lord and he delivers my feet from the snare. And Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising and shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All these things that he's doing for us, all that he has done, all that he will do, because he is the guarantee of a better covenant. This is what David's talking about. Do you understand these are the building blocks? This is the foundation that David's laying on coming to the Lord. I don't have to come in my own righteousness. I come in Jesus' righteousness. And Jesus is never even mentioned in Psalm 25, but he's all over it. He's all over it. 
As a matter of fact, he's all over the Old Testament. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing Jesus. He's everywhere. Look at the next verse with me. Psalm 25, 16. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. This, this is another stage in the building blocks here in the ABCs. This is when your heart is heavy. This is when you're overwhelmed. Can I tell you that you're going to see this? You're going to come to Jesus. Lord, I lift up my soul to you. Jehovah, I lift up my soul to you. In those circumstances of life and those contradictions of life and those places where I don't know what to do, I lift up my soul to you. Elohim, the one who, who makes something out of nothing and who is not bound by time, space, or matter, I trust in you. And then, Lord, I'm trusting you instead of worrying about what other people think. And he walks you and he, and he keeps developing that in you. And then he walks you through this process. Lord, show me which way to go. And then he takes you beyond the point of just show me which way to go. Lord, I just want to know you. I don't want to just want to know what I'm supposed to do. Don't just give me an instruction book and say, do this, this, and this. I want to know you. And he walks you through that process. And then he walks us through this process and says, oh, what, what about my sin? Don't remember my sins, Lord, the sins of my youth. I haven't. I put them as far as the east is from the west. I remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more, according to Hebrews, because of the new covenant, because of Jesus. And he walks you through this whole process of dealing with sin and all these promises. But what about when I'm walking with the Lord and all these things are true and they're happening and my heart just hurts? I'm in anguish. I'm in misery. That's what David's saying. Turn to me and have mercy from alone and in deep distress. By the way, this happens after the revelation of the new covenant. You do understand that, right? Even under the new covenant, your heart can be in distress. I was listening to the word this morning. One of my favorite passages there in Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul says to the Corinthian church, I came to you in much weakness and fear and trembling. He said, and he said, I purpose to preach nothing save Christ and him crucified and be a demonstration of the Spirit. We, that's what we focus on. But this morning, the Lord had me stop and focus on the first part. I come to you in weakness with fear and much fear and trembling. Well, Paul, what's the problem? Don't you know that perfect love casts out fear? Or maybe you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul. Is that the problem? You're not filled with the, You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit and you won't have any fear. Do you want to say that to the Apostle Paul? I don't. My guess is he'd have some, he'd have a reply for me. It, it, the Lord revealed to me in such a way this morning that I had never seen before. The Apostle Paul, who there's no doubt of his commitment to the Lord, of his following Christ, of the work of the Spirit in his life, and all that God did through him, but when he goes to Corinth, he says, I was there in weakness with much fear and trembling. It's a process, people. It's a process. Even under the new covenant, even with the work and the revelation of who Jesus is, there will still be those moments where there is weakness and fear and trembling. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do exactly what David said. Unto you, Lord, I lift up my soul. Come to you. David says, my problems go from bad to worse. You ever feel that way? My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Look at the next verse. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced. For in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me. For I put my hope in you. He comes back to the same place. Lord, it's all about you. I trust you. I'm going to skip down to the last verse because of the sake of time. Look at verse 22 with me. The last verse says, Redeem, O God, ransom Israel from all its troubles. Redeem them, buy them back from all their troubles. Again, he's asking, he's praying, he's speaking from an old covenant perspective. But what does the new covenant say? Look with me at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator 
between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who did what? Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. David hadn't seen it yet. Wasn't the proper time. You and I have. Jesus is the ransom. What David is praying for, Jesus did. As I look at Psalm 25 and I walk through it, I begin to realize that there is a sequence there that you and I are going to experience on a pretty regular basis. The fear of what other people think, the uncertainty about direction and where to go, the condemnation that, that the enemy will bring, the guilt often that comes with sin, past sin, or even present sin. By the way, the difference between the Holy Spirit's dealing with sin and the enemy's dealing with sin, the enemy condemns, the Holy Spirit convicts. You say, what's the difference? Well, conviction says, that's not who you are. That's not what I made you for. That's not what I empower you to do. Turn to me. Turn from that and turn to me. Condemnation says, you're no good. You've never been any good. Look, this is evidence that you're no good. God deals with all that, and he deals with the sorrow and the misery and the challenges even under the new covenant. When my heart hurts, I just bring it to him, Lord. I come back to you. My hope is in you. Unto you I lift up my soul. I'm a, I'm a simple guy in the sense that I don't really care about anything if it doesn't work. If, you can tell me all kinds of really neat, incredible stuff, information, but unless it just does something practical, I'm not really interested. It's usually just information for information's sake. Now, we're all different, but that's just me. And so often when I come to you, I'm coming just appealing to you that what God has set up for you and me in the new covenant in Jesus, it works. It works. It works daily in the pressures, in the struggles, in the heartache, in the uncertainty. Now, does it work always as quickly as I'd like? (laughs) Probably not. I want... I want to take a pill and it all be done. I want to work. I want fast acting. But the work that God does in you and the work that He does in me, when I come to Him, it's real. It's dynamic. It's life changing. It's something where I can tell my son, you know, even on those days when physically you don't feel the way you should, that Jesus can touch every part of your being, including your physical body. He can do that. I can bring any one of you when you come to me and I've lost a child or I've got this diagnosis or my spouse has left. Or we can't make it. We're financially, we are ruined. We are not going to make it. Or any other of a thousand scenarios that quite honestly, one of them would overwhelm me. But every one of them, I can bring you and say, unto you, Lord, I lift up my soul. Unto you. And every time, every time, He will touch your soul. Now don't hear me say that every time he will change your circumstance because he doesn't. But he will touch your soul and I'm here to tell you in the end that's more valuable. Because if he touches my soul my circumstance will look different even if it doesn't change. As a matter of fact if I change it's amazing how much around me changes. But even when it doesn't, I find that he's enough. We were visiting with the McCarthy's not long ago, and Laura was showing me a book that someone had given to her. I believe it was a priest who had cancer, and 
he was dying. And he talked about it in this book that one of the greatest gifts that people would give at times was just to come and be with him, not try to fix him, not try to you know, make all these suggestions and have you done this and have you done that? Because usually we've tried everything we know, but there was just, there was just a comfort and those who would come in and say, I just want to be with you. I just want to be here with you. I'm telling you that any time you come to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I lift up my soul to you. Lord, I need you. I don't know what to do. I can tell you the heart of Jesus is, I want to be with you. I am with you. I'll walk with you through all of this. No matter how dark it is, no matter how difficult, I'll walk with you. I'll change you in the process. And one day, you will get to like you are now with your ABCs. How many of you still sing the ABC song? All right? I'm not sure what comes after D. All right? And so you say, now sometimes I have a senior moment and I may have to do it, but most of the time, I can remember why. I don't think about my ABCs anymore. Why? They're just a part of life. They're just, they're as natural as breathing. Do you want my prayers for you and me? That coming to Jesus saying, Lord, to you, I lift up my soul, it becomes as natural as breathing. You don't even have to think about it anymore. You just come. Why don't you stand? Lori, would you come play? We're going to dismiss in a moment. We'll have prayer partners here at the front. And we'll pray with you about anything that God's doing in your life. Anything that, that we can pray and encourage you with. But can I ask you something right now as you're here in this moment? Can I be your doctor this morning? I'm going to ask you something. Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? And and more than likely, in that instant, you knew. You say, it hurts here. This is what hurts. Oh, can I encourage you? I plead with you. Bring it to Jesus. Right now, say, Lord, to you, I lift up. And name it, I lift it up. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your health, I don't know. But lift it to him. Say, Lord, to you, I lift up my... You just fill in the blank. When David did that, God spoke to him. That's the reason he wrote down, Lord, those who trust in you, they won't be ashamed. The Lord spoke that to him in that moment. So would you listen? What does Jesus want to speak to you about that? Whatever it is, what is he saying? Thank you for speaking to us that every time we come we can encounter you every time. Lord, all across this room there are those who would lift up and even now lift up their soul. They lift up their hurt. They lift up the wound, the uncertainty all the things that cause their soul to be overwhelmed or to be uncertain or not to know, to 
to fear, to tremble, to doubt. And Lord, as they do so, as you did for David, you do for us. You speak. You encourage. You renew. You buy back. So Lord, we believe, I believe, you're doing that even now. But Lord, you'll do it more than just when we gather together in this service. You'll do it every day of our life, wherever we are. If we'll just come, say unto you. Lord, make this truth reality for us. Cause us to believe it, to grab hold of it, to walk in it. For the ones here today, Lord... They're just wrestling and they need someone to pray with them. Need someone just to encourage them. Lord, today, before they walk out of here, would you give them grace and and strength and courage just to, to have someone that would pray for them? Don't let them walk out without stopping and allowing someone want someone to come with them and come into your presence. To lift up our souls together. Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, they don't know you as Savior. They don't know you as their Redeemer, the one who who gave them life, who gave them new life, eternal life. I pray, Lord, that today they'd come as well and say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. daily just to run to you to come unto you oh lord i lift up my soul thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do we praise you lord we give you glory and we pray it in jesus name amen with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.